What do you think? I think we're dead meat. Real dead meat. Go ahead and laugh, you guys. If I ever find a little glasses of business, they're dead meat. Welcome to the Dead Meat Podcast, an extension of the YouTube channel Dead Meat. I'm James. I'm Chelsea, and we're boyfriend and girlfriend, and we like to get scared together. Mm-hmm. So today we're going to do some creepy pasta <laughs> because it's Halloween time, and uh, I thought it would be really fun. I, I looked at all your suggestions for creepy pasta, some good ones, some but that were a little too long, but very, very good, too. Yeah, um, we got uh, we got like... 20 pages of stuff here to read for you. Yeah. Um, I changed the setup, too, if you're watching this. I thought that having the header might be a little distracting. Mm. And the two camera setups, this is a little more. Oh, is it like a full-frame video right now? Or is there a little bit of a header? No, it's just a full. Oh, wow. Look at that. Mm -hmm. We're so big now. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So do you want to get started? Yeah, let's get started. Okay. Lots of people say they like our voices, so here's, here's some creepy pasta with our voices for you. Yeah. Yeah. Some of these I got from the creepy pasta wiki. Some are from uh, the No Sleep subreddit, and other ones are from the Scary Short Stories subreddit. So maybe some of these technically aren't creepy pastas, but they're really good short scary stories. I'm excited for this because uh, No Sleep is one of those subreddits that I subscribe to a thousand years ago but i never ever ever actually click and read the submissions it's like writing prompts i'm subscribed to our writing prompts i never click those things mm-hmm. i don't know why i'm still subscribed a lot of the no sleep stories are super long yeah that's it sometimes yeah They're i will click really, on it and be really like long. no i don't have time for this <laughs> yeah but cool are you ready yes this is the uh disappearance of ashley kansas Sometime during the night of August 16, 1952, the small town of Ashley, Kansas, ceased to exist. At 3.28 a.m. on August 17, 1952, a magnitude 7.9 earthquake was measured by the United States Geological Survey. The earthquake itself was felt throughout the state and most of the Midwest. The epicenter was determined to be directly under Ashley, Kansas. When state law enforcement arrived at what should have been the outskirts of the farming community, they found a smoldering, burning fissure in the earth measuring a thousand yards in length and approximately 500 yards in width. The depth of the fissure was never determined. After 12 days, the statewide and local search for the missing 679 residents of Ashley, Kansas, was called off by the Kansas state government at 9.15 p.m. on the night of August 29, 1952. All 679 residents were assumed to be dead. At 2.27 a.m. on August 30, 1952, a magnitude 7.5 earthquake was measured by the United States Geological Survey. The epicenter was situated under what used to be the location of Ashley, Kansas. When law enforcement investigated at 5.32 a.m., they reported that the fissure in the earth had closed. In the eight days leading up to the disappearance of the town and its 679 residents, bizarre and unexplainable events were reported by dozens of residents in Ashley, Kansas, and law enforcement from the surrounding area. On the evening of August 8, 1952, at 7.13 p.m., a resident by the name of Gabriel Jonathan reported a strange sight in the sky above Ashley. The town itself, having no official branch of law enforcement, called into the police station of the neighboring town of Hayes. Gabriel reported what appeared to be a small black opening in the sky. 
Within the next 15 minutes, the Hayes Police Station became overwhelmed with dozens of phone calls all reporting the same phenomenon. The phenomenon was never reported by any neighboring communities. A decision was made to send a trooper to Ashley to investigate the matter the following morning. At 7.54 a.m. on the morning of August 9th, 1952. Ooh. Oh, creepy pasta. Our portrait of Valak just fell down. Our Valak just fell down. I don't need that shit right now. I guess I'll leave it. Uh, at 7.54 a.m. on the morning of August 9th, 1952, Hayes Police Officer Alan Mace radioed the Hayes Police Station. He reported that, despite following the one-way road leading into Ashley, he had become lost. According to his report, the road continued along its normal path, but somehow ended up back in Hayes. Officer Mace went on to add that the road never curved or bent in any direction. At 9.15 a.m., seven of the town's ten police cars were sent to investigate the situation, and all members of the team came to the same conclusion. The only road leading into Ashley stopped leading into Ashley, but instead led back to Hayes. Phone calls continued to pour into the Hayes police station, all reporting that the black opening in the sky continued to grow in size. All callers were advised to remain inside and to not travel outside unless absolutely necessary. At 8.17 p.m., Mrs. Elaine Cantor reported her neighbors, Mr. and Mrs. Milton, and their two children, Jeffrey and Brooke, missing. According to Mrs. Cantor's phone call, the, the Milters attempted to leave town in their family car earlier in the evening. They never returned. Law enforcement officials from Hayes never reported the car or individuals coming up the one-way road. At 7.38 a.m. on the morning of August 10, 1952, phone calls from Ashley into the Hayes Police Station reported that the town was in total darkness. The sun had never risen. At 10.15 a.m., at the request of Hayes law enforcement, a helicopter from Topeka, Kansas flew over the region in which Ashley, Kansas stood. The town was never observed from the air. At 12.43 p.m. on the afternoon of August 11, 1952, Mrs. Phoebe Danielewski called into the Hayes Police Station. She reported that her daughter Erica had begun to have conversations with her father, who died three years prior in a drunk driving accident. To add to her concern, Mrs. Danielewski reported that Erica was attempting to go outside into the dark to join them. Over the course of the next 12 hours, a reported 329 phone calls were placed into the Hayes Police Station, all describing similar phenomenon with the children of the town. The following morning of August 12, 1952, the situation became dire. During the middle of the night, all 217 children in the town of Ashley, Kansas disappeared. A reported 421 phone calls were placed into the Hayes Police Department. Unable to be of any useful assistance, Hayes law enforcement instructed all callers to remain inside and to avoid any and all attempts at finding the missing children. At 5.19 p.m. on the evening of August 13, 1952, Ashley elderly man Scott Luntz reported a growing distant fire to the south. According to his description, the fire seemed to turn the distant black into bright red and orange that seemed to extend high into the sky. Throughout the rest of the day, calls continued in, stating that the fire, in addition to moving north, now seemed to come out of the black sky. No fire was ever witnessed by any of the neighboring communities or law enforcement officials. The reports continued until 12.09 a.m. on the morning of August 14, 1952. The last phone call, placed by a Mr. Benjamin Endicott, reported that the fire in the sky had grown so intense that it began to appear as daytime over the town. The phone call ended abruptly. Just hold on, wait. Yeah, yeah, I see something. It's, it's to the south, it looks like.
The next phone call wouldn't be placed until the following evening. The following is the entire transcript of the final phone call to be received by the Hayes Police Department out of the town of Ashley, Kansas. It was placed at 9.46 p.m. on the evening of August 15, 1952. In this recorded phone call, the officer on duty is Officer Peter Welsh. The caller has been identified as Miss April Foster. Hayes Police Department. Hello? Yes. Hello? Ma'am, who am I speaking with? My name is April, April Foster. Please help me. What is happening, ma'am? Last night. Last night they came back. Ma'am, I'm going to need you to... Last night they came back. Ma'am, I'm going to need you to calm down and speak clearly. What happened? Who came back? Everyone. Everyone? They all came in the fire. What do you mean, everyone? My son. I saw my son last night. He was walking. He was walking down the street. He was burned. Jesus Christ, he was burned. Ma'am, I... He died last year. I raised him since he was a baby. It was was just me and him. I told him to watch for cars when he rode his bike, but he never wanted to listen. Ma'am, what you're saying isn't making any sense. You you said everyone came back? listening to me? Everyone. Everyone came back. Everyone who died or went missing, they're back and they're looking for us. He said, Mommy, I'm okay now. See, I can walk again. Where are you, Mommy? I want to see you. Ma'am, where are you now? Are you safe? I'm hiding, just like everyone else. We saw them coming through the field, and some people opened doors up for them. God, the screaming. I don't know what happened to them, but their house has caught fire, and they caved in. I have my curtains drawn. I'm hiding in the closet right now, and... Ma'am, is everything all right? Are you okay? Ma'am. Oh, oh my God. Ma'am? Something just came in. Ma'am, stay as quiet as you can. Don't make a sound. Mommy? Mommy? He came inside. Stay absolutely still. Don't leave. Stay quiet. I found you, Mommy. Ma'am? Ma'am! The following morning, at 6.55 a.m., the law enforcement officials of the Hayes Police Department arrived at the location of Ashley, Kansas. A smoldering, burning fissure in the earth was all that remained. Spooky! Spooky! Good job. Glad we had... Thank you. I'm glad we had stuff all over and Lucy putting her butt in the camera. <laughs> she almost drank my coffee. Really? I think so. God damn it. <laughs> Whenever Lucy jumps up on the table when we're recording, I have to then make sure to look at the footage and make sure that her butthole's not in the camera because no one wants that. No one wants that, Lucy. Sorry. She's like, are you sure? And we're like, yes, Lucy. Yes, Lucy. We're, we're positive. Oh, we're my sure. gosh. <laughs> Uh, okay, so this next one is also a phone call. What? <laughs> Just like it's perfectly framed how she was sitting there with us. It's great. I know. Lucy, no one wants her butt in camera. <laughs> I'm scared. Okay, I don't know if she's going to come back up here. She got spooked. Okay. Oh, no. Lucy Pasta. Lucy Pasta. So, yeah, this next one is also a phone call. This is by, uh, this is from the Scary Short Story subreddit, I think. 
It's by Reddit user Neon Tempo, and it's called I'm Calling to Inform You. Hello? Hi, is this Karen Maitland? Speaking. Hey, I'm, I'm really sorry for calling so late. It's just, uh, I, I know your daughter. Is Anna okay? Oh, uh, no, I, your other daughter. I go to community college with Sarah. Oh, okay, wow. Uh, whereabouts are you? Chicago. Chicago. <laughs> From your reaction, I'm guessing Sarah's always been a bit of a lone wolf character. <laughs> uh, yeah, you could say that, but... I mean, it's great to hear that she has friends over there. Can I ask what this is about? Well, I'm actually calling to ask if you've been in touch with Sarah recently. Um, no. No, not really. She sort of broke off contact a while ago. I've always told her that if she wanted to, I haven't changed my phone number just in case, but um, I think she's probably changed hers by now. I'm sorry. That does sound like her. Well, um, listen, I'm, I'm sorry to be the one to tell you this, but Sarah's been reported missing. Missing? For how long? Uh, almost three days. Three days? Uh, okay, uh, uh, I mean, I mean, what's happening? Are people looking for her? Well, that's the thing. I, I don't think they really are. I mean, you know she likes to keep to herself, so she didn't really have any close friends, and she was always sort of prone to absences. I mean, it's like no one's noticed. I, I told the police, but they've hardly looked into it. But that's... She, she was always a little antisocial. That doesn't mean they don't have to... Uh, listen, can you tell me the name of your campus? I'll, I'll fly over tonight. I'll, I can be there by tomorrow morning. Sure, it's the Westgate campus. I was just calling to let you know, but honestly, it's, it's really great to hear someone actually take this seriously. <sighs> of course. Thank you so much for telling me. I, I really appreciate it. No, honestly, it's it's me who should be thanking you. I've I've done this a few times before, but it isn't fun if no one cares. I'm sorry. What do you mean? Hello. Oh. Oh shit. Spooky. A spooky. Are we? <laughs> is, are we just gonna morning zoo every time? It <laughs> just ends? a spooky. This is spooky. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's what we're doing. <laughs> <laughs> Great. This next one is, this is the longer one. Um, this also is, I'm trying to remember where, I, oh, this is from Our No Sleep. Mm-hmm. And isn't the, the premise of Our No Sleep is that everything on it's real. It's like there's a, there's a, what is it called in wrestling? Kayfabe? Kayfabe, yeah. It is. It's like kayfabe of yeah. no sleep. So everyone, if you're on that subreddit, everything is real. Yeah, you can't leave comments being like, this well, was well written, but I would change this. this. Yeah, like, no, no, there's no, no this meta is, comments. This is this person's real story. Mm-hmm. Okay, so this is from Arno Sleep. And this is user Mr. Outlaw. Mr. Outlaw. And this is called a 911 call where nothing made sense. Things were fucked from the beginning. A woman named Carol dials 911 and claims that somebody's inside her house. We go investigate, searching the place inch by inch, but find nothing. Usually this could be easily explained away. The mind of an older person living alone eventually starts deteriorating. The onset of dementia and other mental issues start to take a toll on their lives. Quite sad, really. However, this woman is only 24. In other words, the probability of this all being inside her head is extremely unlikely. She also seemed to be terribly distraught by this whole situation. Why would she be acting? 
We leave her place and tell her to contact us if she sees anything again. I mean, we couldn't really do anything at that point. We were somewhat surprised when we got another call from her the very next day. We drive down there and search the house again. We find nothing, again. Problem is, the house seems different this time. Almost as if there were some subtle detail that made it a separate place from the one we were in yesterday. My partner, Beck, says that he noticed it as well, but doesn't quite understand what's wrong. We decide not to say anything about this as we tell Carol that we came up with nothing. However, she tells us to stay. I recorded him, she says. She takes out her phone and tells us to watch the video that she's pulled up. It was footage of her in the house. She's running around, breathing frantic, and then we see him. A large figure covered head to toe in what appears to be a black bodysuit. He lumbers towards the camera as Carol screams and ducks into a room, locking it from the inside. There's a few bangs on the door before we can hear footsteps walking away. We don't know how to react to this footage, but we try anyways. We come to the conclusion that the man must have left once Carol got behind the door. However, the front door was locked when we came in, and Carol told us that she hadn't left the room. Did he also have the keys to her house? That would explain a lot, but it also made the situation a lot worse. We decide to keep an eye on her house for the night. We're discreet, parking around a block down the road in an unmarked car. We're both fully awake, ready to go as soon as we see some sketchy shit. At around 2am, we see somebody walking across the road towards her house. However, it isn't the man. It's Carol herself. Beck and I must have had the same look on our faces. What the fuck? We get out of the car and make our way over there, knocking hard on the front door. However, nobody answers. We can see lights flicking on and off intermittently, but we're not sure what that's supposed to mean. Was she trying to tell us to leave? We get a call from dispatch a few moments later. They're telling us that Carol has called 911 again, saying that there are now multiple people in her house. They ask if we need backup. We say yes. Without another moment of hesitation, we force the door open and barge in. The living room lights still flicker on and off, but we see the light switch, and nobody is touching it. We call out for Carol, but nobody responds. In fact, the place is dead quiet. I can see the neighboring houses starting to turn on their lights from the commotion. We rush up the stairs and start sweeping each room, but there's nothing. Once again, we search the place inch by inch, but nothing is in here. Not even Carol, who we clearly saw enter a few moments ago. As I pace around in petrified confusion, Beck speaks up. There's rooms here that shouldn't be. The hell are you talking about, I ask in response. I've been counting, he says. There were nine total the last we came. There are ten now. You didn't notice it? I forced myself to think hard. Subconsciously, I knew that something was off, but couldn't pinpoint exactly what. However, I eventually realized. The basement. There was only one door down there last time. Beck nods. Two now. I don't know what to think. I look at my surroundings and try to make an assessment, but there's really none that can be made. We hear a knock on the door about ten seconds later. It sounds agitated. We look out the living room windows, but aren't met with the red and blue police lights. We're hesitant to answer, of course. I decide to take a few steps forward, but Beck pulls me back. He looks at me and shakes his head, whispering, We left the door open, remember? He was right. My radio starts crackling. Another call from dispatch. They're telling us that we need to leave the house immediately, that Carol called again, saying we were going to die in a deathly monotone voice. The knocking is stopped, but we can hear footsteps in the basement. Something is in here with us. We've decided that this is enough. We needed to get the fuck out of there. As we start descending the steps, we hear a voice coming from the kitchen. Carol comes out, blocking our path to the door. She looks detached, with blank, beady eyes staring right at us. 
Did you find him? She asks without any semblance of emotion in her voice. I think he might be in the basement. Why don't you go check? Beck and I are frozen in shock. She just keeps looking at us, gesturing towards the basement door every now and then. The footsteps down there sound like they're running in circles now. We ignore her request, abruptly brushing past her and bolting out of the front door. The backup still isn't here, so we decide to just get into our car. However, we see somebody down the street peering through our driver's side window. He's large, dressed in what appears to be a black full body suit. He looks away from the window and directly at us. It's hard to tell from this far, but the suit doesn't seem to have any eye holes. Beck speaks up. Sir, please step back from the vehicle. His voice cracks in the middle of the sentence. He's terrified. As soon as Beck stops talking, the figure starts running towards us. It's fast. Too fast. In the time that it takes for us to pull up our guns, we've realized that it's actually moved past us into the house. We waste no more time running into the car, locking the doors and waiting until backup arrives. When it finally does, we're extensively questioned while what appears to be a SWAT team searches the house. However, it isn't the police chief asking us. Instead, it's some guy in a suit that we've never seen before. He asks us things like how many doors were there in the house, and what did Carol look like exactly, and did we ever see a man with one eye wandering around. We answer inconclusively to pretty much all of them. We have no idea what the hell's going on. At one point, we see SWAT members carrying multiple stretchers outside and loading them into their truck. Not an ambulance, mind you, but their own truck. Eventually, the man who is questioning us tells us to go home and to report to our station as usual. He tells us not to worry about what we've seen here. I don't know how he expects us to do that. We drive back to the station in complete silence. As we park, Beck finally lets out a sigh. Jack is fucking crazy, dude. I look at him in confusion. What are you talking about? Who the hell is Jack? He reciprocates an equally confused stare at me. The hell are you talking about? The dude who owns the house. What? It was a lady named Carol. How'd you forget already? We hold each other's chaotic gaze for what feels like a minute, but we say nothing further. We both silently exit the vehicle and start heading our separate ways home. We both know that something's terribly wrong with the other. I try not to think about it too much as my head hits the pillow. I manage to drift off to sleep about three hours later, only to be woken up immediately by the telephone. Barely coherent, I answer it. We need you. A woman dialed 911. Says that somebody's in her house. My heart sinks slightly. It sinks completely when he tells me the address. It's Carol's. I hang up the phone and slump into the bed. I just want this nightmare to end. Spooky! 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 <laughs> I, I like that one because it reminds me of House of Leaves a little bit. Wait, I don't get it. The house is, is luring people in. I think the house is like changing itself to get people. What was the Jack thing? What? When he thought it when he said it was a dude named Jack instead of Carol. I think it changes depending on who you are to better lure you in, maybe. Okay. I don't know. Tell us your thoughts on that one. Tell us your thoughts on that spooky, spooky. story. <laughs> it's like it's like House of Leaves and Men in Black. A little bit. <laughs> this is the House of Leaves. <laughs> that was my first I was sight reading that one. Yeah. I hadn't pre read that one. I it's probably harder to understand what you're reading it is yeah when you're reading you're just, out loud when you're reading aloud it's more of a performance thing than a comprehension thing yeah mm-hmm. i also have to do a different voice next time because that's too low and it's hurting my throat oh no but you're up next okay so this next one the big boy 
Ooh, I don't gotta read anything for here. I can just listen and enjoy. Yeah. This next one is The Girl in the Picture. A lot of people requested this one. I really like this one. We read this one during Scary Story Night at oh, Comic-Con. Oh, fun. I like this one a lot. It's very good. Yeah, we had a whole bunch of people in a house at uh, Comic-Con in San Diego. We Airbnb'd a house. We brought the uh, Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark books. Hey, those are written for, you know. The kids books. Six-year-olds, yeah. The pictures are the scary part. Yeah, we read like two of the stories and we're like, oh, no. So we turned to this. Yeah. And so, oh, I'm excited. One school day, a boy named Tom was sitting in class and doing math. It was six more minutes until after school. As he was doing his homework, something caught his eye. His desk was next to the window, and he turned and looked to the grass outside. It looked like a picture. When school was over, he ran to the spot where he saw it. He ran fast so that no one else could grab it. He picked it up and smiled. It had a picture of the most beautiful girl he had ever seen. She had a dress with tights on and red shoes, and her hand was formed into a peace sign. She was so beautiful that he wanted to meet her, so he ran all over the school and asked everyone if they knew her or have ever seen her before. But everyone he asked said no. He was devastated. When he was home, he asked his older sister if she knew the girl, but unfortunately, she also said no. It was very late, so Tom walked up the stairs, placed the picture on his bedside table, and went to sleep. In the middle of the night, Tom was awakened by a tap on his window. It was like a nail tapping. He got scared. After the tapping, he heard a giggle. He saw a shadow near his window, so he got up out of bed, walked towards his window, opened it, and followed the giggling. By the time he reached it, it was gone. The next day again, he asked his neighbors if they knew her. Everybody said, sorry, no. When his mother came home, he even asked her if she knew her. She said no. He went to his room, placed the picture on his desk, and fell asleep. Once again, he was awakened by a tapping. He took the picture and followed the giggling. He walked across the road when suddenly got hit by a car. He was dead with the picture in his hand. The driver got out of the car and tried to help him, but it was too late. Suddenly, he saw the picture and picked it up. He saw a cute girl holding up three fingers. Spooky! It's kind of funny in a twisted way. Yeah, it reminds me of the uh, toy store one that we also read down there. Was that right? Didn't we read... or am I thinking of a fucking short? You're thinking short, of that short where it's the girl short. looking at the dolls in the windows. Right? Isn't this a similar type of thing? A little bit, yeah. yeah. Where it's a doll that looks exactly like her. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's spooky. That's It is creepy. Spooky. spooky. I'm sure someone, because I don't remember what it's called. Mm-hmm. Um, hopefully someone. That's a real good animated it. spooky it short. Cool. So this next one is actually, it was submitted by a fan who wrote this one, and I really liked it. So this is by Chloe McKenzie, and this is uh, from the Creepypasta Wiki. So this is like pure good creepypasta. Thanks, Chloe. It's called Grandpa Stories. Grandpa Stories. My grandfather used to tell me scary stories every Saturday night when I was a kid. I looked forward to them every single week, and often leapt onto the couch and pestered him to start it already. The stories varied from being about haunted pirate ships that still splash about in the open sea hundreds of years later with no port in sight, to old schoolhouses that were all shut down 50 years ago after the mysterious disappearances of several children. One night, however, my grandfather said that he wasn't up for telling a complete story, as he had just gotten over a slight cold and wanted to rest. Instead, he told me a short little tale that he claimed was real. He asked me if I knew about the undead, like vampires and ghosts, and how they couldn't see their own reflections. I nodded in agreement, having read all about this piece of vampire folklore and more Goosebumps books than I can remember. Well, he said, taking a seat on the couch and taking off his eyeglasses, 
There is actually a very good reason for that, son. You see, mirrors are not simply pieces of glass that show a reflection. They're windows to another world, a world far different from our own. A world some people call the afterlife. The person you think is your reflection is actually your spirit, waiting for you to join with it upon your death. Until then, their job is to keep you out of their world. But, you know why I mentioned vampires? I shook my head, enthralled and wondering in anticipation what he was going to say. When they become undead, their spirit vanished. He snapped his fingers in the air and made a whooshing sound. Gone, just like that. Because of this, son, there's no one to keep them out of the other world, the afterlife. They can freely move back and forth between each world like it's an open doorway. But the truly scary thing is, you know how a vampire turns you into one by biting you? I nodded, becoming even more anxious and fearful. That isn't exactly true. What they really do is go into the other world, find your spirit, wait for it to move in front of a mirror, and kill it, he suddenly shouted, nearly making me jump off of the couch. Then you become one of them. He then leaned in, trying to make me sweat a little bit more than he usually would telling these stories. So you have to wonder, are any of them on the other side right now, looking for you? He grinned and told me to brush my teeth and go to bed, leaving me shakily heading upstairs. When I stood in the bathroom, brushing my molars, I finished up and put my toothbrush down, inching closer to my reflection. Curious, I pressed my hand against it, then moved it around, trying to trick my reflection into making the wrong move. After a few seconds of doing this, I gave up, telling myself that even if Grandpa's story were true, no one would want my spirit anyway. I was just some random little kid who hadn't done anything wrong. Only moments later, however, my peripheral vision caught something in the mirror. It looked like a hand beginning to grip the doorframe. Just as I saw something beginning to lean in, I looked back at myself in the mirror. My reflection stared back at me, looking terrified, and blinked. Spooky! I love that one. Thanks for having us read it, Chloe. Yeah. I think it's cool. Yeah, reflections of mirrors creep me out. Yep. Uh, I'm sure I've told this story before, but the mirrors in Poltergeist 3 freaked me so, out so much that when I was a kid, I had a mirror on the outside of my closet door in my bedroom, and uh, I got so scared, I just kicked it. I just kicked it until Holy I broke shit. it, and the, uh, I broke the mirror, and they had to take the mirror away, and then I didn't have a mirror in my room, but I was happy, because oh Poltergeist 3 has some spooky mirror shit. I did not know that you did that. Yeah. Wow. I didn't break the actual mirror. I like broke the frame, I causing see. it okay. to fall out, and then it was like... Well, we'll just get rid of it. Score one for little James. Got rid of that creepy ass mirror. <laughs> um, this is by user Vital Duel, and it's called Should I Intervene? Well, this is a fun one. And you do have stuff in this one. So. I do. Okay. I got it. I'm browsing through a line of skirts, trying to find one that goes with my wide-brimmed hat. The sun is strong these days when I hear the scampering of feet behind me. It's a young boy, maybe five or so, with floppy blonde hair and a stained Paw Patrol shirt. Giggling, he jumps into a nearby rack of pants, then emerges a few seconds later and runs towards the lingerie. I smile and go back to the skirts. Kids that age are so cute. A few minutes later, I hear the scampering again, as the boy once again runs behind me and starts rifling through the women's pants. I pull the skirt out and hold it against my body. Probably a bit too big for me. Too bad. The color is perfect. Hey there, Aiden. There's a man behind me now, looking like he rolled out of bed two days ago and hasn't changed since. Loose khaki shorts, a wrinkled shirt, and a baseball cap that half covers his disheveled face. He's leaning against one of those clothes racks and looking down at the boy. Come on, we need to get going. The boy's smile fades and he takes a step back. Oh, what's wrong, buddy? The man asks. Your mom told me to come and get you. We're going to leave the mall and go get ice cream. I, I... 
The boy starts before looking down at his feet. He seems really uncomfortable. I'm not supposed to talk. (laughs) To strangers? The man smiles. His teeth are misshapen and yellow. But I'm not a stranger. I'm a friend of your mom's. She told me to come get you after you ran off. The boy hesitates. He seems torn between avoiding strangers at all costs, possibly the first lesson he's ever learned, one drilled into his mind since he learned to talk, and the fact that this man seems to know him, or at least his name. There's no one else near us. The boy's face screams confusion. Maybe this man is a friend of his mom's. Or maybe he's someone who heard a woman calling for her son, then saw a boy running around unsupervised and put two and two together. So far, neither of them has acknowledged me. It's time to change that. Hey, I take a step forward and bend down, looking the boy in the eyes. I give him a gentle smile. Is your name Aiden? He nods. And Aiden, do you know this man? He shakes his head. I take a small hand in mine and stand up. Then how about you and I go and find your mom? He relaxes. Keeping my grip tight, I escort him away from the skirts towards the parking lot. Just as we reach the doors, I turn back and give my partner a wink. Don't talk to strangers, Aiden. Spooky! Oh, Aiden, you got played. (laughs) Oh, Aiden, you fucking idiot. Stranger danger. Straight double stranger danger. Oh man, this next one I really like, and I'm a little bummed you haven't read it yet because yeah. you're not gonna. I mean, like you'll you'll get it, but it's it's different than reading it. Okay. But I you'll like it. Okay. It's a good one. It's a good this one. This is also I think the next few are from the the short story scary short story subreddit. This is the fine line between an actor and a liar by user Lord Bronte. This was one of the few days each year when Andy was at work. Casually, he sprinkled water onto the landing of the mall's high staircase. He limbered himself up and began his theatrical breathing exercises. Acting hadn't worked out for Andy. He'd been a high school thespian and pursued theater well into college until his parents' money ran out. His training and talents hadn't gone to waste, and he found a livelihood far more lucrative and with better hours than that of a struggling actor. Andy was a slip-and-fall artist, a professional victim. He had learned to turn his theater skills towards convincing juries of imagined injuries. It took a while to build himself up. At first, Andy brought pocketed bones into restaurants just to get a free meal. But it didn't take, but it didn't take too long to rack up an impressive Rolodex of ambulance-chasing lawyers and script-forging doctors. Andy's first big score came when he noticed an ice cream parlor with a steeper-than-average stairway from the parking lot. An average con man might have pulled a simple slip, fall, and sue, but Andy was classically trained. A costume cane and a forged doctor's note added to the effect when Andy came tumbling down those concrete steps. The brilliant stroke was his lawyers, who had realized that Andy could sue the owner of the shop not just for personal injury, but also for not being ADA compliant. That had been years ago, and Andy was still receiving his monthly settlement checks. Afterward, lawsuits, especially class actions, became Andy's bread and butter. He'd purposefully driven his Toyota into a streetlight, blaming the incident on a faulty accelerator. The jury was told that Andy would never walk again. But after the settlement came through, Andy had miraculously recovered. Andy had sustained life-threatening injuries from diet supplements, exercise equipment, and erectile dysfunction pills. He'd fallen down more stairs and been hit by more cars than anyone else in the city. Andy took one last glance down the mall stairs, making sure there was a clear path and plenty of witnesses below. He began walking briskly towards the wet tile. He brought his feet up and made sure to twist his face into a mask of fear and surprise. Tucking into an impact-absorbing shape, Andy tumbled more or less harmlessly down the flights of stairs onto the floor below. 
He kept his face contorted in pain and glanced around to gauge the public's reaction. A man was already running up to Andy's landing site. Somebody get help, the man yelled as he knelt down next to Andy's prone form. Andy looked up at the Good Samaritan and experienced an instant rush of recognition, a worried face from behind an ice cream counter, a distraught figure on the witness stand, a signature on settlement checks. Andy tried to speak, but the man clamped his hands down over Andy's mouth. With surprising strength, the man's other hand twisted Andy's head in an unnatural direction. The snapping of bone and Andy's screams were muffled by the man shouting, Somebody call 911! I think his neck is broken! Spooky! That one is, I think, the closest one out of all these to being a Twilight Zone episode. Yeah! This is such a Twilight Zone, Mm -hmm. you know? Because you could hear, you could imagine the camera zooming out of his twisted body after that guy snaps his neck and Rod Serling giving a speech about how his own practice did him in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, so this next one is called Bank Robbery, and it's by user... Ooh, I don't even know how to say this. It's L-L-O-I-U. Louis. Louis. Shut up and put it in the bag, now! I can hear Sean all the way from the lobby, shouting down the poor counter girl as she tries to hold on to some semblance of composure. I feel bad, but it's gotta be done. I look at the terrified people in the lobby and keep my shotgun trained on them. I've done this at least a dozen times, and every time I'm racked with guilt. The muffled sobbing always kills me. But it's better than having Sean's job. I much prefer crowd control to actual robbery. I lean back into the hallway and yell out, Sean, time's almost up! Don't rush me! He roars. I really hope he can control himself in there. If not, the police will be the least of our problems. As I turn back, I nearly have my head knocked off. One of the hostages decided to be brave. I jump back, dodging a wild punch, and then smash the butt of my shotgun right into his nose. He crumples, and the rest of the hostages start to scream. I can barely hear them, though. The attack keyed me up, and I try to bring myself back down. I take a few long, controlled breaths and feel myself come back to my senses. It was close. If I hadn't laid that guy out as quickly as I did, the night would have gone sideways. I yell the screaming crowd to shut up and wave my shotgun over their heads. They clam up. A few more moments and I see Sean running down the hallway, his pillowcase bulging with the loot. I waste no time in barreling out the door and into the night, Sean right behind me. We run for several blocks and turn into an alley where our van waits for us. I throw the back doors open as Sean hops into the driver's seat and starts the engine. A few minutes and we're headed out of town. How we do, I rasp, pulling off my ski mask. Not bad. Sean says. We should be good for about a month. I reach into the pillowcase and pull out the glorious dark red pouch. I rip it open and pour the contents into my mouth. I gag slightly at the coppery taste coating my tongue. I hate O-negative, I groan. Please tell me there's some B-positive in here. I got what I could get. Sean replies. But save some of that O-negative for me. I shudder a little and take a few more deep gulps. I can feel the tension, fury, and consuming hunger melt away as I drink. Sometimes I wonder if it's worth the effort stealing the stuff when we could just go out and drain a few runaways in the middle of the night. But I just can't bring myself to do it. So, knocking over blood banks it is. A guy's gotta have a little moral grounding. Spooky! Yeah, in a fucked up way. It's like, I never watched it, but isn't it kind of true bloody? Um, yeah, the idea of vampires wanting to be a little moral. Yeah. Yeah, or Twilight. This next one is The Witch Tree by user Hackshook. Everyone knew about The Witch Tree, which stood behind my school. 
when the school foundations were laid, an ancient grave was unearthed, so those old bones were buried in a bag beneath the old gnarled branches of the very tree from which the witch had hanged. It was common knowledge that if someone ran three times counterclockwise around the tree on the midnight of Halloween, the witch would emerge and stab her disturber to death. Late one rainy October the 30th, I sneaked outside of my house to meet five or six other kids from my class and watch popular jock Mikey try the ritual out. But no witch met him, only distant thunder. Maybe the witch waits till later, when you're asleep, I suggested. What do you know about anything, Beetleborg? laughed Mikey as he shoved me into the mud. He always called me Beetleborg, as I wore a Big Bad Beetleborgs backpack when everyone else wore a Power Rangers one. I was an odd kid, and this was the sort of thing I did. I was kind of right about the witch biding her time, as Mikey began to see her outside his window on stormy nights, clutching her knife and staring through his soul with cold, dead eyes. Mikey never invited me to his slumber parties, but these stopped soon afterwards anyways, as Mikey woke everyone up screaming about the witch trying to climb in through his window. People started to make fun of Mikey. It's fascinating how fast someone can topple from their perch of popularity. Mikey was a mess afterwards, jumpy, edgy. He'd scream when someone dropped a pencil on the classroom floor during a thunderstorm. The other kids stopped finding this funny and began to avoid him completely. You gotta help me, Beetleborg. You know about witches, right? He begged a year later, my back rammed against a locker. I know they're peaceful, misunderstood, nothing like you describe. I never saw the witch. No one else ever did besides Mikey. That was the problem. Nobody ever believed him. Mikey still lives with his dad in the old neighborhood. He could never hold down a job and drifted into petty crime, though he always claimed he was framed, that the witch was playing her games when stolen jewelry kept turning up in his room. He became a total social pariah. I've just heard that Mikey's gotten himself confined to the psychiatric ward. Turns out he tried to break the witch's curse by burning her tree to ashes one miserable windy night, and when that didn't work, he torched the school. I'm on my way to visit my old school friend now. He doesn't want to see anyone, but I phoned his dad to ask what room he's in. Maybe I can figure out which window is his by counting them along. It's stormy tonight. He could use my company. On the car seat beside me is my Beetleborg's backpack with my large plastic dagger and old witch costume inside. Spooky! Yeah. <laughs> that kid's a dick! That kid's a dick! Both of them are. Yeah, I think I think our protagonist was probably more of a dick. Yeah, he's definitely playing the longer game. Yes, <laughs> that's the long con for sure. <laughs> this next one is a classic, and I'm so excited to read it. Yeah. Because it's the scariest creepypasta. It's the spookiest one. All right. Ready? You gotta help me with it, though. At the end, I need your help. I got you. Okay. So you're with your honey, and you're making out when the phone rings. You answer it in the voices, what are you doing with my daughter? You tell your girl and she say, my dad is dead. Then who was phone? (laughs) (laughs) Yep. (laughs) That's that. That's That's all the creepypasta We read them fast. I know. I always am afraid it's going to be too much, but it isn't. You're forgetting that we're expert readers. Yeah. Half of those I hadn't even read at all. This is my first time reading them. Yeah. Yeah. Do you like the ones I picked? Yeah, they were good. I tried to pick ones I mostly hadn't read before I was doing my research. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I thought these were fun. They were fun. So cool. Uh, until November, 
Oh, yeah. Because, yeah, this is our, our Halloween episode, technically. Yeah, it's our spooky Halloween episode. Yeah. So we'll be doing a movie next week. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, I don't know what November will hold for us. It'll be less busy. <laughs> it will be less busy. Thank <laughs> fucking God. Holy shit, November. Oh, yeah. Or October has been... It's like our Christmas season or like our, our yeah. Black Friday season. Oh, my of. God. It's been awful. But one last little surprise for you. I don't think I've said it too widespread on the channel. I'm wearing a Frankenstein shirt because I just shot the Frankenstein kill count, which comes out tomorrow on Halloween. So yeah. uh, look forward to that. That's my last little hurrah for October. Yeah. And then it's over. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I can't wait to sleep. Yeah. It'll be exciting. But I guess, uh, yeah, follow Dead Meat on social media at Dead Meat James on Twitter and Instagram. And I'm Carebeck, C-R-E-B-E-C-C on Twitter and Instagram. And if you want merch, deadmeatstore.com. Hit us up with suggestions uh, by emailing deadmeatpod at gmail.com. And make sure you leave a rating and review for us on whatever app you use to listen to podcasts, especially if it's Apple iTunes or Apple Podcasts or whatever the fuck they're calling it these <laughs> days. Whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Until next time, I'm James. I'm Chelsea. And this has been the Dead Meat Podcast. <gasps> Spooky, Spooky edition. Happy Halloween. Happy Halloween. <laughs>